Welcome to the Finding Joy podcast. I'm Jerry Williams, along with Rob Langer and Benji Shepard. We shine a spotlight on the joy that exists in the lives of people all around us. And today we are talking with Greg Brazina. He is a former Atlanta Falcon. Let me just make a note here that this is a conversation that we had several days ago before all of the social distancing guidelines were uh, things that we needed to pay real close attention to. We uh, we visited with him at the offices of Christian Families Today. Although I did, we did stay six feet apart yeah. from each other. We, so did. we did practice that part, so we that was did. good. Now, uh, Christian Families Today has been around for years. It's actually a nonprofit counseling center, and they work with individuals, families, couples, and just basically teaching them how to live a healthy lifestyle making sure it is based in Christ-like principles. And Greg has been doing outstanding work for years with this working with a lot of people, you know, also teaching people how to counsel others as well. My wife, Nancy, has been through their program, and it's just an amazing organization and the work that Greg has done over the years. And You've got to listen to this conversation yeah. we have with Greg. It is is powerful conversation. And it's interesting to see someone go from being a pro football player with the Atlanta Falcons to opening up a counseling service in Noonan. And uh, we follow his journey. So let's uh, head on over to Christian Families Today for Greg Brazina. So, Greg, let's talk a little bit about your growing up. And how many brothers do you have? I had six brothers. Okay. And uh, my baby brother died a year after my dad died. You all went to the same university, yeah, from we what all, I understand, to play football. We, yeah, six of us went to the University of Houston, and all of us played football, mm-hmm. scholarship. Three of us played professionally. Okay. Wow, I didn't and realize so, that. And then you were drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, 1968 it was? Uh, 1968, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was life like with... Uh, Playing professional football uh, in in the late '60s, early '70s. What what would you say uh, was your was your takeaway, and may, maybe compare it to, to what you see in in pro football these days? Oh well, the it, it was guys wanted to play back then in the sense of uh, winning, and and not so much for money. Hmm. I think today the focus is more on money than playing, and uh, more on entertaining. Hmm. Than uh, than playing like we were because my first year I made twenty five thousand, which wasn't bad back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. When I was playing, you played when you hurt, you were hurt, right. and I don't know how to explain that other than uh, I don't want to say we were tougher, but I'd like to say we we're tougher. But, <laughs> I think you may have been tougher, but <laughs> but you know they they they're doing this this CBA the bargaining agreement between the owners and players, and they're talking about up in our uh, retirement you know, for old players. And so I better say kind things about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're great guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we want you in the good grace that's, of that's, Goodell. So. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of my perception of yeah. it, right. <laughs> which is probably biased a little bit. Yeah. But those were some, some wild days for you, too, from what I understand, especially in the early days. Well, uh, coming out of college, uh, both of my grandfathers were functional alcoholics, and uh, a couple of uncles, and and we don't say that in the family, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it, 
it uh, that's a family secret, so mm. we don't want to let anybody know that. Right. But uh, the reason I share it is because of, uh, it's out, it's out there. It's a problem in our culture and society, and and if you don't acknowledge there's a problem, uh, it's not going to be healed. Right. If we don't acknowledge we're sin, we're not going to get saved. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I said I'd never be like my grandfather, and I turned out to be just like him. Those are the wild days you're talking about. I always thought, well, growing up, you know, Vince Lombardi was one of my heroes. Lombardi was a man of faith. He was he was a Catholic. He went to Mass every day, and he tried to live like that. And uh, I was Catholic growing up. And so I tried uh, uh, hard to, to be a good Christian and couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so out of that frustration, uh, you know, drinking followed. You know, if you can't find satisfaction, you begin to to lose faith in yourself and 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 in others in the whole system. And I thought fo- football was my redeemer. If I could just be the greatest football player that ever played, then uh, I would be satisfied. And that's what drove me. Uh, I was all American in Houston and played the Pro Bowl. Myself. What my second year in uh, in pro ball started in my last part of my last part of my rookie year and and I always thought if, if I could just make the next stage you know it I thought if I could just be in the pro bowl I'd I'd be one of the best I'd be satisfied but I played in the pro bowl and then after after that's my second year I got injured in preseason of my third year and uh, and I had the year off. And so I started thinking about my life and how all my life I've set goals to achieve goals, and I was never satisfied. And I started thinking, hey, playing in the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl is not going to satisfy me. Even if I make the Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame, it's not going to satisfy me. So I just started drinking, becoming a functional alcoholic. And then uh, around, well, it was probably September of uh, 71, uh, my wife, Connie, said she'd had enough. Uh, she woke me up one morning about 5 a.m., and I was laying in my own puke in the foyer of our new home. And and she says, uh, she she helped me get up. I you know, I had puke all over me, and she helped clean me up. And she said, you come home like this one more time, I'm leaving you. I said, how up, baby? I have enough problems. I'm going to get out of my life. You know, and she cried a lot. Those were the, probably the darkest days of our lives. You know, I just, uh, just, I didn't care about anything. Those are those are wild days or dark. dark I I think it's because you were fairly young back then, just out of college, the second year of playing pro ball. You're what, twenty four, twenty five years old, something Mm -hmm. like that. I came to Christ at twenty five. For for you to have the insight, knowing I've set all these goals and so far I've reached them, but they haven't satisfied me. The future goals, Super Bowl, Hall of Fame, you know what? That's not going to satisfy me either. Knowing that that wasn't the answer was amazingly insightful, especially for somebody of that age. I think a lot of people today never realize that. They don't make that connection. They keep looking for satisfaction in these things that can't provide it. It's just physically and spiritually impossible for those things to satisfy you fully, but they don't realize that it's not. They keep trying again. Well, maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe this, without realizing that what they really need for satisfaction is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, right. for you to be that far along, 
at that young age, I think is an amazing testament to your to your self, inner self-awareness. Well, and, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. Yeah. And uh, it was very gracious of God to bring me to conviction where I could understand and make the choice. And that's what you're talking about, making the choice whenever the Holy Spirit does convict and brings you to brokenness that you're willing to surrender to that or submit to that. It was brutal back then. I mean, it was just brutal. I mean, uh, as far as trying to, I was, I was a tormented human being or a tormented soul trying to fulfill. I mean, I, no one ever, all my goals, I've always achieved the goals that I've set out for myself and they never satisfied. Not one of them. See, most people from the outside looking in would think, even though he had been injured, here's a guy, he's playing professional ball. He's been in the pro bowl. He's living the dream that you should be the happiest person on the face of the earth. Right. I mean, and that's what I thought. Yeah. But I still acted like it. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) People still wanted my autograph and and, uh, wanted me to come to their meetings and speak at their banquets. And and I did all those things. But they never knew what was going on in my private life. Uh, That was a a sacred area that you don't let anybody in, in. All of us have those areas. So yeah. what finally got you to that point where you realized, I can't keep going like this. I need something. And, and you found a relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Well, it was, it, it was the mama. My dad died when I was six years old. And so I uh, never really had a dad. I always looked to my grandfather as my father figure. Uh, but I never could please him. I could never do enough to satisfy him or to be accepted by him. So when I hit about 13 or 14, I said to heck with him. And I've always looked to coaches uh, as as a father figure. And coaches loved me when I played well. But when I didn't when I didn't play well, <laughs> they chewed my rear end down. And so I was I, I was raised on a performance-based acceptance. You perform if you perform right, and so that's why I had to camouflage my alcohol, my drinking, and everything else is because I had to perform. As long as I could perform, people would pat me on the back. If they did, if I didn't perform, then they wouldn't. So my wife was about the only one who knew uh, what my life was really like. And Mama raised us with uh, we had family. We we uh, you know in the sixth grade I went to school barefooted, and we were poor. In fact, uh, I think uh, DFAX, it was, wasn't DFAX back then, but I think she got like $5 per child uh, to help. So we were on welfare. Coming out of that was, um, was I thought that money and, and fame would do it, and, and I thought marriage would do it. But family was the main thing that Mama gave us. She said, always remember, you take care of family. You know, you take care of your wife. You you look after your children. And Connie was pregnant with our first child, and I just didn't care. I was I was I, all I've ever wanted to do is play football, be the best, and uh, and I couldn't be it because I'd I'd make mistake, I'd miss tackles, and I was harder on myself than any anybody else was. Coach would. Uh, scream and yell at me but i mean i would i would scream and yell at myself more than that so uh when my wife said she was leaving me uh, that was the ultimate failure i was at and so i just i didn't know what to do uh, i was still playing football 
I always hated people who played for money and didn't play for heart, but love of the game. And uh, and then I became one of those guys. Mm. I'm only playing this term money. I'll get, I'll get all I can get out of it, and and uh, it'll make me at least I I'll be protected or be safe with accumulation. But whenever she said she's leaving me, that I did, just didn't care about anything any, anymore, and just went just kept drinking. And uh, we were out on the West Coast uh, playing the Rams, and Don Hanson. Uh, who was the other linebacker? Nobus was the middle. Hanson was left linebacker. I was right linebacker. And uh, uh, Hanson was our chaplain on the team, and uh, he came up and asked me to go to chapel. And I said, oh, no, I, don't, I, don't, I tried that God thing, and uh, he's, you know, if he's out there, he doesn't doesn't hear me. And he said, uh, Well, uh, Russ Snip, an Olympic weightlifter, is is speaking in chapel. And I said, man, Christians have always been wimps, you know. <laughs> they need help. I never needed help. I did it all on my own. And I said, but an Olympic weightlifter, he's not weak. I, I think I'll go hear what he has to say. Hmm. And uh, so, hey, hey, Don, I'll uh, I'll be there. I went on, When I went into the room, I sat in the back. I learned that at church. If you sat in the back, right. then Mama couldn't see you if you left early. <laughs> and growing up, and so uh, uh, the guy shared uh, the four laws. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And and uh, we don't understand that plan because we're sinful and separated from God. And and the only way that's why Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And but it's not enough to know all that. You got to come to the point where you receive. Christ is knocking at the door, and you got to open up the door. The doorknob's only on the inside, and you got to open up the door to receive Christ. Oh, oh boy, I was ticked. I was I say, oh, God is out there, you know. When I was uh, six years old, Mama took the four of us, the four oldest boys, to say goodbye to Daddy. He had a bad heart, and he was dying in the hospital. And uh, catechism or Sunday school teacher told us that. God hears the prayers of good little boys, but he doesn't hear the prayers of bad little boys. And so Mama said, we're going to tell Daddy goodbye. And so he, Daddy was, Dad was in a coma. And so she, Mama said, tell Daddy goodbye. So I said, goodbye, Daddy. And it went on to my brother. And as, as they were saying there, whatever they said, I, I was praying. I said, God, I pray that you would heal my Daddy. Because in, in Sunday school or catechism, they're telling you about how Jesus healed all these people. And uh, I thought of myself as a good little boy. But uh, he died the next day. And uh, then it, I really hated God at that point. And that's a wound that, uh, that sticks with you. Have you... Um since coming to Christ, though, how have you allowed your Heavenly Father to heal that? Forgiveness. He has, he has, uh, 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 he has, he has forgiven me for all my sins. It's the first thing after the chapel service. After the chapel service, I went up and I was going to leave the room. And uh, everybody started going up and shaking hands. Well, that's one of the first times I think I went to chapel. 
And I said, oh, this is a team thing. I better go shake his hand, too. So I went up. And, and all of them were saying, good talk, good talk. And so I said, good talk. And he said, are you a Christian? And I thought, I've been set up. Somebody. <laughs> so they got me to hear so they could put, put the pressure on me because other people have put pressure in, on the past. And uh, I, I said, uh, I looked around. I didn't see anybody laughing or anything, you know, where they – you know, set. I've been set up for something here. And uh, he said, are you a Christian? I said, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, well, how long have you been a Christian? I said, all my life. He said, Greg, you can't be a Christian all your life. I said, beg your pardon. Go back to Louis, Texas. Check the church roll. My name is still <laughs> on the roster. My, all my family members, as far as I can go back, have been part of the same denomination. And he said, Greg, doing all those things doesn't make you a Christian, just like standing in the garage doesn't make you a car. And he asked me right there in front of some of my teammates, would you like to turn from your sin and trust Christ? And I said, I don't know who you've been talking to, but uh, I'm a Christian. I don't care what you say. And uh, I, I turned around and left. went up to my room. I was ticked. And I uh, laid down on the bed. I, well, I threw myself down on the bed and was just frustrated. And I uh, All of a sudden, all my sins like a PowerPoint presentation, all my sins just started going through my mind. I mean, just all of them. And I felt so guilty and so ashamed. And I just I just slid off my bed. Uh, sometimes I say slithered, slithered <laughs> off the bed. And on my knees, I said, God, if you're out there, if you are who this man says you are, come into my life and show me my sins are forgiven. And, all, and at that moment, Almost, I had no guilt. I had no shame. I felt totally clean. I felt like all my sins were forgiven. Everything was forgiven. And then once that happened, then it became forgiving myself. And so God gave me the grace to forgive myself, but it took a little longer for yeah. that. And it usually then, does. And then forgiving others. I had to go back to all my brothers and my sisters and asked them forgiveness, had to ask my mother, and I was able to go back and ask her to forgive me. And, and then I raised my boys under legalism, and so I've been asking for people for forgiveness. Uh, I'm constantly asking people for forgiveness. But uh, family is, is, it was, was the key to that, is, is the trigger. The trigger was my wife saying she was going to leave me. But she didn't leave me. In fact, uh, that we played. We, that was about eleven or twelve o'clock. At one o'clock, the buses came to take us to the Coliseum to play the Rams, and I think we, I think we tied them. After the game, uh, we took our charter flight back to Atlanta, and I got drunk on the plane going back. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, the stewardess was there handing out yeah. alcohol. Right. It's her fault. And right. No, 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 no. What, 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 well, let's, let's take a step back. We were, we were on the sidelines playing the Rams, and the head coach started – the referee made a bad call. They're always making bad calls against us. <laughs> and I've always had a tough time with referees. And the head coach started cussing GD this and GD that at the call. And so I started – I backed him up. You know, I said GD this and GD – and when I said GD, the ice pick went in my heart. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And so I started walking to the bench. 
because uh, I, I wanted to go sit down. And I heard this voice behind me say, do not use my name in vain. And I looked around to see there wasn't anybody around me. But I heard it. And uh, so I went and I sat down on the bench and uh, I heard it again. Do not use my name in vain. And I said, yeah, you know, I figured it was God. So I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'll never use it again. Now, I have never said GD again, but I've thought that <laughs> uh, But um, so that happened. And then when I was getting on the plane, the stewardess was handing out the alcohol, and, and there was that same voice that said, don't take it. And I said, I had a good game. I'm going to celebrate. You know, and I took it. And I got drunk on the way back, and so Connie hadn't left me. She, it was, we got home about 1 o'clock or so in the evening, in the morning, and she picked, picked me up at the airport, and, and I got in the car, and she could smell the alcohol. She hates alcohol. And I said, uh-oh. She was just <laughs> driving, staring straight ahead, didn't say anything because she smelled the alcohol. And, and so I said, I, I got to think of something that, She'd been trying to get me go to church. You know, church helped our parents, it'll help us. I help, I help their marriage, it'll help our marriage. And I said, no, I'm, uh, I, I tried church thing, it doesn't work for me. And so I said, okay, I, I gotta think of something that will, that will uh, give her some hope for right, our marriage. Right. And so I said, uh, I went to chapel, you know, I went to chapel today. <laughs> and she's driving. She just looks at me and then doesn't say anything. She just looks at me and then keeps staring straight ahead. And, and uh, I said, okay, that wasn't good enough. I got to think. I gave my life to Christ today. Now, I didn't even know what I did. I mean, I mean, I, I don't even understand that. And, uh, and you need it. <laughs> uh, I and gotta so, meet your wife, man. <laughs> oh, God, she's she's, she's an angel. She she doesn't have an enemy. <laughs> she is uh, perfect for me. And how long have you guys been married? Now? Fifty, almost fifty-one years. Wow. Hmm. That is great. How did you meet Connie? I just curious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was at a, a pepper. Well, it wasn't at a pepper. It was after the pepper alley. We. We were uh, at the University of Houston. She was going there, too. And we had 11 seniors on the squad. A head cheerleader asked me at the pep rally, asked me to introduce. I was captain, so he asked me to introduce the, the other 10 guys. And so I introduced them, and I looked out there and saw this brunette out there. And I said, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> I gave her a call that night. I said, hey, Connie, this is Greg Brezina. How about a date Saturday night after the game? She says, I already got one. I said, well, how about Sunday? And she says, no, she has to study. Her sorority sisters told her, don't date Brzezina. He loves and leaves. And said, oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, and, and a rep. <laughs> well, it's that that um, when, my, when they buried my daddy, I cried and I cried and I cried. I'm still crying. Uh, and, I, and, and after that, after we buried him, I said to myself, I'm never gonna let anyone get close to me again. I'm not gonna be hurt like this again. And so every time a girl would get serious, I'd date him and I'd be the great guy. As soon as they got serious, wanting more from their life, I was out, I'm out, I'm out of this thing. And so that's my reputation, I love and leave. 
And so, but I kept talking to her, and I finally talked her into it. And to go to Shoney's. We went to Shoney's, and, and we got a hot chocolate fudge sundae. I was, I was pretty cocky back then. But uh, that's what started it. Okay. You know, you know. One of the things that sold me on her, we were having dinner one night at Bill Williams' restaurant. They had the best fried chicken. It's very similar to what Mama made. And uh, we, had, we hadn't finished the meal, and I, I had my hand on the table. And she grabbed, took my, my hand in her two hands. Now, this is, this is getting too close again, okay? It makes me very uncomfortable. But she grabbed my hand, and she says, I love your hands. When my hand is in your hand, I feel safe. Well, in high school, I had the largest ring size in the senior class. Wow. <laughs> that baby's a size 13. That looks like a bracelet, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my junior year in high school. And when the class heard about it, everybody started making fun of my hands. And so you'll see me a lot of times. I'll, I'll be speaking, but I'll have my hands in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't see my hands, you can't make fun of them. Mm. And she was the first person that ever said she liked my hands. And that's the first time I thought, I gotta marry this woman. <laughs> but then I then I constantly had that struggle with I can't let anybody get close to me again. They're gonna hurt me. That's how we met. And uh and praise God, we've been married uh fifty over fifty years now, and the one thing that has kept us together is forgiveness. That and the fact that you remember your first date was at Shoney's. Right. Yeah, thanks a lot, because now my wife's going to listen to this and ask me, do you remember where our first date was? <laughs> so thanks, Greg. Thanks a lot. I remember where mine was. So. I do, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not well, many do. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was I, I go into a lot of these if I don't know who the people are, not knowing what to expect. I was blown away by our time with Greg. Yeah. I think this was one of the most candid conversations that we have ever had with somebody. And that's going to continue as we find out in our next segment what Greg has been up to since he was an all-pro linebacker for the Falcons. Yeah, and we'll get into more about Christian families today with Greg coming up. wanted to uh, make sure that you're aware of something that we have going on on Facebook. Rob started up a Facebook group for us called Spread Joy. And uh, during this time when we want to make sure that we're being good neighbors and good members of our community and showing Christ's love to those around us, um, you know, us being based in Georgia, we have a lot of people that have joined in on this group and we want to invite you to join in and talk about what's going on in your community. And you know, if you have food that is being distributed in your community or uh, whatever it may be, I think someone put up uh, a notification about uh, something going on at Easter with uh, uh, lights in the neighborhood. Yes. And, yeah. Things like that. Or maybe you have organized prayer rallies in front of hospitals. Mm. We've had things like that. Uh, there is somebody that is actually her, his grandparents own a floral boutique and he thought because you know they can't open up right now to help get these flowers to senior citizens nursing homes people that are shut in right now because of the uh the stay in place order what we're trying to do is inspire you to do something in your community it may give you some ideas so this isn't 
a kind of group where, hey, look at what I'm doing. No. no. If anything, this is for you to say, why don't you consider doing this? Maybe this might help. It might spark ideas. So if you want to join us, it's called Spread Joy on Facebook. And we also have a link up at our website, thejoyfm.com, under the Spread Joy page, where you can join that group. And we would love to have you share ideas and inspire each other how we can spread joy during this time. One of my favorite ones, I'm sorry, Benji, one of my favorite ones on there is the Coweta County Sheriff's Department is reading children's books. I, I think it. they're doing it about yes. every day on Facebook Live. Uh, and so that's something where you're still maintaining social distancing, but they're doing something to engage the kids, to give them something to look forward to every day. And it's individuals from the sheriff's yes. office. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I love that they're doing that. And you can do things like that, too. You don't have to even leave your house to be able to spread joy with this group. And we'll give you a link to the page in the show notes. Also, something going on uh, at the Joy FM every day during the week in the noon hour. We've got an hour of prayer and worship, and that's when you're on, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and we've gotten some great response. Uh, I got a message on Facebook just before we came in here today to record this segment uh, from somebody who said, I always know when it's between 10 and 3 because I hear you on the radio. So I've got a ballpark of what time it is. But I really love the music that you guys are playing because we're playing some special music in that hour every weekday that normally you would hear on our warm-up for worship on Sunday mornings or the Joy Worship stream that we have available through our app and on our website. But it's, it's an hour just to kind of help us refocus our attention on things that are eternal and to remember who it is that not only holds tomorrow, but holds today and walks with us through everything, including this pandemic. So it's noon to one every weekday through the month of April. Are you feeling trapped? Isolated? Yeah, me too. Hey, I'm Jules. And on my latest episode of the Jewel Show podcast, I phone a friend, Taylor Mason. She's a clinical director and staff therapist at Bethel Haven, a Christian counseling nonprofit. To give us tangible ways to manage isolation, we're all feeling. We've never been here before. We've never done this. This is all new. Everyone's learning. We have to have more grace. To hear more great tips, go to thejoyfm.com slash jewels or anywhere you get your podcast from. Well, life post football, I mean, we're in um, this beautiful facility now. How did, how did we get from football to here? Well, it, uh, when I retired, Connie said, what do you want to do? And I said, um, well, if people continue to ask me to speak, I was speaking all over the country and some parts of the world and, and with my testimony, basically. And if they, if they want to, if, if people continue to ask me to speak, we, we'll just start our own ministry. And so I retired and, uh, and people kept asking me to come speak <laughs> every week. And then they started asking us, would you, in my testimony, I'd tell how God healed our marriage. And then churches and pastors started asking us, would you come do a marriage seminar for us? And so we went for the marriage seminar. We were basically doing that, and I started running the ministry like a business. The old performance-based acceptance. you got to have a big ministry in order to be accepted by people. you got to write a book. And I found myself getting into the same performance-based cycle at the same time with my performance-based. Like one month, I spoke 38 times. Golly. And at the same time, I was raising my children on performance-based Christianity. Uh, like my son, all my sons have done well in, in education. One of my sons came home from Wheaton, who he's majoring in, in uh, chemistry. 
and he came home one time at the, uh, at a fall break or something like that, and I said, "How are your grades doing?" Because his perform, we're based on performance, right. and it's going to be uh, uh, my worth and value as a human being is based on how my children do. He said, uh, "I made a B on on this one test." And I says, "Well, did uh, did you uh, study for it?" And he said, "Yeah, I studied for it." I said, "Well, did you uh, did you go over the questions to see if they were ambiguous?" You know, uh, where you could go to the professor and get a, the ones you missed. And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, did, did, did you go to the professor and ask, is there anything you could do to upgrade? And he just started, he broke down and started crying. He says, I can't do anything to please you, can I? And the Holy Spirit said, as, as he went back to his room, the Holy Spirit says, Brazina, there's something wrong with your Christianity. And that's that's when I just want I wanted to kill myself. I figured if I could get up to a hundred miles an hour on one of these George, South Georgia roads mm. and coming home from speaking late one night, and everybody would say, "Oh, well, Greg was giving his life to Christ." I could I could keep my name intact. Uh, but then I was too chicken because what if it didn't work? What if I just messed myself up? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when. That voice came behind me. Says, "Greg, you died with me two thousand years ago." And and uh, I was I was finishing up my master's degree because I knew if I got my doctorate of theology, that I would know how to live the abundant Christian life. Because I I was telling everybody to live the abundant Christian life, but I wasn't living it myself. And I figured yeah, I need to get my doctorate of theology, so I had to do a hundred eighty hour practicum finish my arts and counseling i've spoken a couple of times at dr stanley's church and so i called him and he put me in touch with his head guy count at their counseling department al scardino al wanted me to go through their counseling process before i would go through my practicum and i said yeah i, I need more knowledge and uh, the first, second night the teacher said you don't have two natures and i've always been taught that i had two natures Sin nature and a new nature in Christ, born again. And even though the teacher shared Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified to Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then Romans 6.6, 6, that our old man has died, there were no longer slaves to sin. I didn't believe that. But then he quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones on Romans 7, and he says that, Martin Lloyd-Jones says the biggest problems Christians have is they're fighting a sin nature that's already been crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. I believe Martin Lloyd-Jones, but I didn't believe the Scriptures because I was into theology. I, w- I wouldn't read. Yeah. I, that's what I would read. I'd read theology books because that, w- that was the answer to the abundant life. Right. And so uh, that's what started the grace message. Now I don't have to build an empire. I don't have to write a book. I don't have to, uh, all I got to do is listen to the Holy Spirit and just do what he says. And so everything you see, I mean, we're, we're in Pakistan, we're in India, we're in China, we're in Chile, we're in Kenya. There's a team of eight guys now in Kenya that are going out two by two teaching the LIJ. And they've been into seven or eight. They want to reach all of Africa with this message. I haven't done anything. I've just sat here and just watched it happen. 
I, I could have written a book on marriage already and parenting, which we do marriage and parenting seminars. I can tell you how to become all pro. In fact, I've tried to make some of my grandchildren all pro. <laughs> and they won't listen to me. <laughs> Everybody has to do their own thing. <laughs> I'll do it my way. No, my way's best. And so, but I've, I've been a performer all my life. And so I just said, I'm not going to do anything anymore. God, if you're going to do something with this ministry, you got to do it. And so he's just, the thing is exploding around the world. You could look at my life and see it. He has blessed me. We've got 19 grandchildren, and uh, all the boys have married believers, and God has blessed us there. And so we're working on 19 grandchildren. And I know with that many grandchildren, there's going to be issues, heartache and heartbreak. And We've already had uh, Catherine. I don't know if you, Nancy told you about uh, Catherine, but uh, one granddaughter who had brain brain tumor at five years old aggressive cancer and uh, she's doing okay today well greg this has been a very enriching time yeah and yeah. uh I, I i feel like i'm gonna walk out of this room knowing some stuff that that's gonna gonna stick with me and uh, i appreciate you sharing your heart well if uh you know if what you you may want to come back sometime and get the opposite to this like uh like Bo. Mm -hmm. uh well, Ben, Ben was the first one to come. I, I never thought my boys would, because of the way I raised them. You do it because I tell you. You don't look at TV. You look at the Bible first, and so you figure out what the TV is all about. Right. All the legalism I had. Ben, and he he called me from Wheaton when he's graduated. He said, "God's calling me to come." Well, I said, "Don't come unless the Holy Spirit. If if the Holy Spirit tells you to come, we'll we'll have a great time. If the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to come, then we won't have a good time." And so it's been a great time. I, I think, I don't know how many years you've been with me now. Probably, probably 18, 19 years. Mm. And then Bo was third child. He went to Wheaton also. He he started telling, Bo, Ben started telling Bo, hey, uh, 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 Bo, the guy that raised you got to get to know Dad. He's not the same man that raised us. He's not the same Dad. And when Bo came back, he went on the other side of town. He still wanted the relationship with Dad, but we didn't have a good relationship. Uh, I, I I told him uh, when I was I was making all pros out of them, and I, I had Camp Fun. Camp Fun was was running the track, and you you walk a two twenty, and then you you almost sprint a two twenty. I got the stopwatch and I, I'm timing you every, every time you do it, you walk a 220, you have to walk it a little faster than the last time you walked it. And I'm carrying the watch. And then when you run it, you have to run it a little faster. Uh, they start out at three quarter speed and then gradually work up and you, you, you do it until you, your lungs burn and you got cotton mouth and, and, uh, and that's what you, one of the things you have to do in order to be great in football and i was going to make my boys great right. <laughs> because if they're not great then there's something wrong with me mm -hmm. and bo was about eight or nine and he started crying and i told him i said if you don't stop crying i'll give you something to cry about said, well you speed up the clock his wife is pregnant 
and the baby dies in her womb. And Bo doesn't cry. His wife cries all the time. She's got to carry it two weeks. She's got to carry it two weeks. And uh, he didn't cry during those two weeks. So his wife thought what? He doesn't care. And I said, no, 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 that's not it. When he was eight or nine years old, his dad told him that if he cried, then I, he, I would give, I would make, you know, give him something worse than he was experiencing. And and I think I've seen him cry twice. All because I was trying to control his behavior. So Ben kept saying, "Hey, this is not the same guy." Well, he he was doing a great job where he was at. They would promote him but they would always pay him the highest salary of the last position because now he's 20, like 26 years old, but he's he's in the same position as 45-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And so they pay him less because of the 45-year-olds. And I've always told him, hey, you don't have to worry about what you make. Just do a great job, and you'll get paid for your reward. And so uh, he wasn't getting rewarded, so he said, uh, Dad would be okay if, if I come and kept your books of the ministry and get my uh, – the MBA from uh, Georgia State, mm -hmm. and I want to be a, a financial consultant. And I said, great. So he comes here, and he comes in the office, and he says, Dad, rem remember when I was five years old, and uh, and you did this? Yeah. I said, will you forgive me? And he's still coming to my office. He's been here eight years, I think. And he's still come out. When he knocks on the door, I said, oh, <laughs> and he'll come in and say, Dad, what, remember when I was 13 and you did this? That really hurt me. I said, I am. Forgive me. <sighs> I'm tormented now, but it, this is a beautiful torment. Nothing like healing. We've all sinned against others, and others have sinned against us. But to bring healing to family is my heart's desire. I told you that that was one of, if not the most candid conversations we've had since we started doing the Finding Joy podcast. Yeah, in such a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so, very much so. Greg was very open and upfront, and I think in the, the first segment I commented to him that how amazed I was that even at that young age when he was 25, 26 years old, when he realized the things that he had hoped would bring him satisfaction were in fact not, mm -hmm. leaving him disappointed, becoming uh, playing in the NFL, being an all-pro linebacker. And he thought, well, you know what? If I go to the Super Bowl or if I even get into the NFL Hall of Fame, that is not going to satisfy me. And him being able to understand that there was something lacking in his life and what he had tried so far wasn't working and it wasn't worth trying anymore because he, he, it wasn't going to satisfy him. Right. And then he talked about how when he was a little boy, he was taught that God hears the prayers of good little boys, but not the prayers of bad little boys. And I think that says an awful lot about who Greg is and what he has gone through to become who he is now. And then he's six years old. He's been taught this in Sunday school. God hears the prayers of good little boys, but not bad little boys. He's in the hospital. His dad is getting ready to pass away, and he prays, God, please heal my dad. And his dad dies the next day. Well, he puts two and two together. 
God didn't hear my prayer. I must be a bad little boy. And that impacts him for the rest of his life. Mm. And you can still hear that in his voice. When he talked about it, you could hear him starting to, to well up a little bit. But I think what Greg really spoke to in, in that very end there, he talks about he's tormented now still, but it's a beautiful torment as he seeks healing, not only for himself, but for others now through his ministry, is forgiveness and knowing that you're forgiven. And I think there, there are three areas of forgiveness that Greg has gone through and continues to go through and that we all have to go through at some point. And that is accepting God's forgiveness, forgiving others, asking others for forgiveness if you need to. But the biggest one, the hardest one for a lot of us, and I think what Greg has struggled with, is forgiving yourself. And Benji and I were talking about that a little earlier. So, you know, there's not a nice, neat little scripture verse that says you must forgive yourself. Right. Or here's how you you forgive yourself. There's not. But there are some implications of that throughout scripture. And one of them is in the book of 1 John. And what I love about the way John writes is he's very direct and, and very conscious of why he's writing. And he wants to let people know why he's writing. In the very early verses of First John, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know that we have forgiveness from God. Then a little later on in chapter 2, John says, I'm writing these things to you. He wants to make sure that his audience knows what he's trying to get to. Here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why I'm writing this. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. A little further on in that chapter, he writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And then towards the very end of the book, in chapter 5, again, Here's why I'm writing to you. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants there to be no doubt. You are forgiven. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins. The implication being, and if you take that in, in light of other scriptures, the story that Jesus tells about the man who was forgiven 10,000 talents and then went out and had the guy arrested who owed him 10. Hmm. The implication is if God can forgive you, then you've got to be able to not only forgive others, but forgive yourself. Right. And I think until you come to that understanding and begin that process of forgiving yourself, it's very difficult to forgive others or to ask others for forgiveness. And that's one of the things that I think Greg got onto about that that torment that he understands he still remembers that he did some of those things raising his kids with performance-based christianity as he called it and he's working with his one son who he says he's been working with me for eight years now and still every once in a while he'll come into the office hey dad do you remember when i was 13 and you did this hmm. he said yeah do you forgive me please forgive me and he's to the point now where he realizes he can ask for forgiveness and through that process accept God's forgiveness and f accept his own forgiveness as well so that he can go on and help others heal. Mm -hmm. And it, it, as you said, Rob, he also teaches other people how to, how to counsel. So he's not only 
helping others accept forgiveness, but helping others help others accept forgiveness. Because that forgiveness is the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason that this is coming out on, what's the date? This is coming right before Easter. Right before Easter. Right. That's what Easter is all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that terrible price at which our forgiveness was purchased. But Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame and the suffering of the cross because he knew what was to come. And we go through that a little bit, not to say that we're going through anything like what Jesus went through, Mm -hmm. but when we realize how short we have come of what God has expected of us in the lives of the people we love and we care about the most, Greg and his sons and his family and his wife, what he put his poor wife through, that's when we become, start to realize the great price and the preciousness of our relationship with Jesus Christ and what he has purchased on our behalf. Mm. Such good thoughts, Jerry. It is. Well, our next episode is coming out in two weeks. April 23rd is the date for it. So uh, if you haven't already, I want to invite you to subscribe to the Finding Joy podcast. That way you get it immediately. As soon as it comes out at midnight, and and I'm the one who sets that up. I, <laughs> I know that it comes out on midnight on April 23rd. So and every you... Wednesday night, I'm up until midnight on Thursday morning to make sure. Uh, I'm long in bed by then. <laughs> <laughs> and then I keep my wife awake listening to it in the bedroom. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, we've got lots of ways for you to subscribe, Apple, Google Play, everywhere else that you get your podcasts. And of course, you can go uh, to our page at thejoyfm.com and find out more. We've got uh, extras from the episodes for uh, you know, pictures and videos and all kinds of good stuff that that sort of help tell the story a little bit more right and of course when you do subscribe and and you want to help others find joy one way you can do that is by giving us a five-star review all five stars yeah all five stars yes you know not four and a half four three (laughs) five stars do it and this way others will be able to find out more about the finding joy podcast and as a matter of fact if you don't give us five stars just email us tell us why and we'll work on it yes please we're open yeah finding joy podcast at the joy fm.com is where you'll find us you'll also find us on instagram facebook youtube we got links to all that on our website and in the we're not show doing notes. tiktok yet are we <laughs> not doing tiktok yet <laughs> I still maybe don't one get day that i don't either <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for listening in uh two weeks two we'll weeks be back. next episode april the 23rd stay six feet away from everybody wash your hands and stay safe we love you